All right, this morning we're going to be concluding our uh, series on David, and uh, we've been in this series literally since the beginning of the year, so it's, it's kind of hard to believe, but we've been in this thing for over three months now, and um, it's been a fascinating, it's been a practically helpful study for, for me personally, and I, I hope, I trust, it's been the same for you. Now, I wonder, as we get started this morning, um, ha- have you ever lost someone that you loved deeply, like, say, a grandparent or maybe even a parent or a child or uh, a friend that you really cared a lot about? I, I buried my last living uh, grandparent, my grandmother, a couple of months ago, and there, there's something that's just kind of surreal when someone who has always been there like your entire life is suddenly gone. And one of the things that happens, uh, I think, one of the things that you typically remember when you lose somebody that's very near and dear to your heart, one of the things you remember the most is their, their final words to you, right? It's like whatever, whatever your loved one's last words to you are, those words are likely to be emblazoned into your heart and your mind for the rest of your life. Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples after his resurrection, before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, are some of the most famous words in the entire Bible. Uh, They're so famous, in fact, that they have a a title just for those words. It's called the Great Commission, right? And so so many of you guys are, are probably familiar with that, but this is... This is what Jesus said, right, as he's getting ready to leave his disciples for the final time. He, he says this to his, his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And that, by the way, if you've ever wondered, that's where we get our mission statement as a church, right? Our mission statement is we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. That's just a rewording of the Great Commission, right? That has been the battle cry and the mission of the church for the last 2,000 years. People's last words carry a lot of weight. And today, we're going to step into the final scene of David's life. By this time, uh, many years have passed. David is no longer the young warrior king out conquering nations on the battlefield. Uh, Frankly, at this point in David's life, he's he's old and he's frail and he's a weak man by this point in his life. The sun is setting on his journey in this life. Honestly, it's a bit of a sobering picture as we imagine David contemplating his own death. And as I've said before, I don't, I don't mean this in like a, a weird, morbid way, but I think it's a healthy practice for all of us to do exactly that, to contemplate our own death. What is our legacy going to be? And as we dive into this final scene, we're gonna see that David had one last thing to say. He had one final task, one more battle to fight before he went home to be with the Lord. He had one last thing that he wanted to lead his people into. Now, this time, it wouldn't be leading them into battle like he had done so many times before, but this time, he would lead them into a heart posture of worship and generosity toward God. That's the legacy that he leaves with his final act and with some of his final 
words, and it is a powerful legacy of redemption. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, open them up, turn them on in your device, head for 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29, that's just a couple of books over from where we've been in First and Second Samuel. We will move around just a bit today, but the bulk of our time is going to be spent in Chronicles. First Chronicles is sort of a parallel account of David's life. It's actually been called a commentary on First and Second Samuel. And so if you've enjoyed kind of going through First and Second Samuel the last three months as I have, uh, you may want to give Chronicles a read in your quiet time. It's a, it's a good read. But First Chronicles gives us a more detailed account of the final days of David's life. And so that's why we're going to park there. Now, let me give you a little bit of context before we jump in. Remember that God told David that he would not build the temple. It would actually be his son Solomon who would go on to build the temple. So David, as he realizes that his time on planet Earth is drawing to a close, he decides that he's going to make preparations so that his son Solomon will have everything he needs when the time comes for him to build the temple. So we don't have time to read the whole account. You can read that on your own time, but it it tells us that David essentially gives his entire treasury to build God's temple. And then it actually goes into detail. It tells us how much he gave. It says he gave 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver, which means absolutely nothing to you, right? Because you're like, what's a talent? But uh, I did the math on this, did a little research. This, This is nuts. This will blow your mind. That comes out to roughly 750,000 pounds combined of gold and silver. Like, we cannot even wrap our minds around how wealthy King David was. This would have been billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of gold and silver. And David gives it all. And then the people, his people, see David's radical generosity and they follow suit. And so the people just start bringing like all of their gold and all of their silver, like all of their precious stones. You can kind of picture maybe some of the ladies just taking the diamonds out of their engagement rings or you know, like the pearl necklaces that they inherited from their grandma. They're just giving sacrificially so that God's temple could be built. And so it's just this incredible scene of of David leading God's people into this kind of indescribable, almost sacrificial generosity to further God's kingdom. And we're going to pick up right there in the narrative, starting in verse 9, okay? 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 9, says this, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So the people are just basking in joy as they give sacrificially to advance God's kingdom. And as David sees this, as an old man, an old king, at the end of his life, as he sees that this is the heart posture of his people, it says that it brings great joy to David's heart. Now I want you to notice the connection right there, right off the bat, between generosity and the heart, right? Which is the polar opposite of what our culture tells us, right? And tries to sell us. Our culture tells us, man, just hoard for yourself, man. Save all your stuff, hoard for yourself, spend it all on yourself, right? It's, it's all for you. Look out for number one. You gotta take care of yourself. That's what our culture teaches us. 
But when we read through the scriptures, right, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we talk about this a lot. God's kingdom is what we call the upside-down kingdom, right? There's this, this connection between joy in our hearts and generosity. Jesus talks about this actually a lot in the New Testament. We'll have this on the screens for you, but Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, and we could also translate that finances, money, for where your money is, there will your heart be also. So here's, here's the first theme that I want you to see, all right? Number one, you can write this down. Generosity is a window into our hearts. Now, some of you are probably thinking, ah, junk, is Chris about to preach on money? No, I'm not, sort of. It's just, it's just, it's just part of the text, right? So I'm not, I'm not gonna skip it, but I just wanna say relax. I can see the sweat beating up on some of your foreheads right now. Uh, you can relax. Now, I will say this. I, I'm, not, I'm not intimidated or scared to talk about money because the Bible has an awful lot to say about money. Jesus had a heck of a lot to say about money, but that's not, that's not the primary theme of the message this morning, so you sinners in the room can simmer down now. And um, e even though that's not our main point, the fact remains, listen to this. Generosity is a mark of the people of God, period, the end. That's Old Testament, that's New Testament. Our money is an indicator of what sits on the throne of our hearts. That message runs true, again, Old Covenant, New Covenant. So if you're thinking, man, Chris, that's, that's Old Testament, man, we're under the, the New Covenant. No, Old Testament, New Testament. We can sit down and we can go through all the scriptures and talk about it if you want, right? So if you know God, listen, there should be evidence of generosity in every area of your life, including your finances. Now, you can go ahead and send me an, an angry email if you want. Uh, I'll go ahead, I'll give you my email. It's mcarlson at nlcca.org. Go ahead, send all your angry emails. I'll get right on those tomorrow morning. Generosity is connected to your heart. It is a heart issue. It's a matter of the heart. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but you guys probably know Cheryl and I, we have, we have three kids. This may surprise you, but we feed our kids every single day. I know, ah, we're pretty good parents. I know, we feed them every single day. And here's the deal, when our kids sit down to eat, this is what doesn't happen. Our kids don't like guard their plates like savages and just begin shoveling the food in their mouths as fast as they can, right? Now, now why? Because my kids know that the same father that provided for them today will provide for them tomorrow and the next day after that and the next day after that. Friends, sh shame on us. Like, shame on me forever not trusting our good heavenly father and just choosing to live like a tight-fisted, selfish life. You wanna know what your heart belongs to? Look at your bank statement. And before you get mad, that's what Jesus said. Go read Matthew six. God wants our hearts. And when he has our hearts, when we really trust him, then we are free to live generously because we know that we have a good father who will care for us. So the question I have for you this morning, just as we get rolling, is where's your heart this morning? What are you trusting in for your security this morning? Are you trusting God? Are you trusting your bank account, your 401k, something else in life? What are you, what are you trusting? 
for your security. David is reminding us generosity is a window into the human heart. And then David prays a beautiful prayer over the people starting in verse 10. Let's pick up there. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father. Now notice, David is using relational language there. Our Father. He's saying, God, you, God, you are my heavenly dad. God, you, you are my provider. I trust in you and in you alone forever and ever. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, right? Not mine. David saying, not mine. Even though I'm the king, even though I have all these riches, yours is the kingdom. It's all yours, God. O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. David is just listing out the attributes of God, and he goes, God, you are great. God, you are great and you are powerful. The whole earth, all the heavens, like it's yours. It's all yours. God, even the victories in my life, they come from you. And I realize now as an old man, at the end of my life, I have learned now, even the battles that I've won in my life, God, that was all you. And I think what David is doing here is not only is he praising God, he's also instructing the people in how they should view and interact with God. See, David is now a profoundly humble man as he just basks in the greatness of God. And he's just going, he's just going, God, it's all about you. God, this is, this is all you. It has always been about you. It's always gonna be about you and your greatness and your power and your majesty. And so here's the second truth that I want you to see this morning. Number two, knowing God produces deep humility in our hearts. Deep humility. Because we realize that it's not about us. Now this is sort of like the opposite of swagger in our culture, isn't it? Now maybe humble, humble swagger is okay if that's a thing. As long as your swagger is like Jesus swagger, not you swagger. But so, look, this is how it plays out. So, so often for so many of us, we, we look at our lives and we look at our successes whether it's success in relationship, man, we have you know, awesome kids that make great grades and they're doing awesome and so there's pride there or we have a great marriage or it could be pride in career or finances or whatever it is and we think in our minds. Now we would never verbalize this or articulate this out loud because we like to pretend like we're humble when we're really not inside, right? So we'd never articulate this but on the inside, oftentimes we look at our successes in life and we think this, we think, I've done this. I have accomplished this. I am awesome. And David is saying to us this morning, you didn't do jack. You didn't do jack squat. The breath in your lungs, that's God's air. The blood that's pumping through your heart, keeping you alive, yeah, that's God's blood. The talent and intellect you have that bring you success in your career, guess what? Yep, God gave those to you too. Y'all listen to me. Humility is the only right response to God's greatness. There is no room for self-idolatry in God's kingdom. 
God will share his glory with no one. Do not be a glory thief. Everything in our lives, like a mirror, should reflect back to the one who gives all and is above all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from who? From me, the king, from my talent, from my prowess on the battlefield? Nope, he says, from you, God. It all comes from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you? David goes, not only God, not only is this whole world yours, even our riches, even our finances come from you. And then he goes, who am I? Who are we as a people God, that you would even allow us to give to you, that you would even allow us to love you back with our generosity. God, we didn't sacrifice anything. We're just giving you what is already yours. And then in verse 13, he says, man, God God is allowing him to have the privilege of loving him, loving God through generosity, and this causes his heart to break out in praise. David just starts worshiping. See, there's this, undeniable connection between our generosity and our joy. And again, it runs, it runs counter culture to everything our world tells us, but it is absolutely true. It's embedded in our hearts. There's this connection between our happiness and generosity. And it doesn't make sense at first, but as we learn to live generously towards God, not just with our finances, it's not just about our money, but with our time, with the talent and spiritual gifts that God has given you, using those things in his kingdom, it leads us to joy and worship in our lives. That's one reason that we take up the offering right smack dab in the middle of our worship services because generosity is an act of worship. It leads us into joy, right? Giving points our heart's affections towards God. And when we give, we are essentially saying to God, God, it is all yours, God, it's all yours. I I trust in you. My security is in you and in nothing else. It's worship and it takes us to a place of joy. Verse 15, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Now this is important, so dial in. If you're thinking about the final four or something, just reel it back in for a second. David is saying, listen, David is saying something that we all need to hear here, and it's this. He's saying, life is temporary. Life on this earth is temporary. He compares it to a shadow that's here for a second, and then it's gone forever. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're older than, say, like 25, you already know this to be true. I was in college last week, and I woke up this week, and I'm 39, I don't know what happened. This this life flies. It is a fleeting shadow. And David is saying, friend, give your life away to what will last forever. He's not saying don't enjoy life, right? I think a lot of us read passages like that and that's what we get out of it. 
Like God doesn't want us to have any fun. That's not what David is saying. David is not saying that you can't have a nice house. He's not saying that you can't have a nice car. He's not saying that you can't take nice vacations. I hope God gives all of you all that stuff, and I hope you invite me on your nice vacations. But listen, David is not saying that stuff is wrong. He's simply saying, don't live for those things. Don't live for those things. And that's truth number three. Number three, give your life away to what will last forever. Give it away, pour out your life, exhaust your life in what will last forever. Friend, don't waste your life. We get one life on this planet. Let's make it count. Let's leverage it for eternity. We live for that kingdom, not this kingdom. You know, my, my highest prayer for our three children is not that they would become great athletes or make awesome grades or get into a prestigious university or make a ton of money as professionals when they grow up. Like, all that stuff is, is fine. But my highest prayer for my children is that they would fall deeply in love with Jesus they would walk in his presence. They would be satisfied in him all the days of their life. I want my kids to give their lives away to an eternity, to an eternal kingdom that will last forever because I know that ultimately their joy, their satisfaction, their happiness is tied up in that life. It's tied up in that life. That's my greatest hope for them. Verse 16, David continues in his prayer, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for the building of you and a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. He's saying it's yours anyway. Verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart. That's a theme that we're gonna see throughout the rest of his prayer, right? There's this connection between the heart and generosity and joy. Lord, you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously, there's that concept again, joyous heart generosity. Verse 18, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. David's final prayer for his people is, Father, keep their hearts stayed on you. Father, keep our hearts, which tend to drift, keep them locked in on you. Help us not to wonder after things that will not matter in the end. Teach us to trust in you. Teach us to live for your kingdom and not our own. And next, David is gonna pray for his son Solomon, who will take the throne and will eventually build this magnificent temple to God so that all the nations would know his greatness and turn to him. Verse 19, grant to, my, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace or the temple for which I have made provision. His prayer for his son is that he would, with his whole heart, follow God's commandments. Now, parents, this is a phenomenal prayer to pray over your children. 
This is a fantastic prayer for you to pray over your grandchildren, that they would, with their whole hearts, follow God's word for all of their lives. And that's truth number four. It's this, God's word is the path to a successful and happy life. His word is the pathway to a kingdom life, which is the life that we were all designed to live by our creator. I love the words from the Apostle Paul as he writes to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. He was a young protege of Paul's in ministry. And uh, listen to it. This will be on the screens for you. This is what he says. All scripture, so the Bible, God's word, all scripture is God-breathed or literally breathed out by God in the Greek. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friend, do you want to know God? Do you want to be equipped for an abundant life, for living in the kingdom that will last forever? Bathe yourself in the scriptures, friend. Don't just come here on Sunday morning so I can feed you. Learn how to be a self-feeder Monday through Saturday. Bathe yourself in the word of God. Bathe yourself in it. God's word is the path to a life that matters. Verse 20, then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord the God of their fathers, and they, they bowed down their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. So the people now have generously given to God. They have now embraced David's prayer that their hearts would forever be satisfied in God, and they break out into a worship service. The, the whole assembly blesses the Lord. And we don't know if they're praying, we don't know if they're shouting, we don't know if they're singing at this point, but it says they're even bowing down before God. Like these people are in awe of God. They are in awe of his greatness. They are in awe of his goodness. And now at this point, their whole hearts belong to God. And then guess what happens? Go down to verse 22. It says, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. They throw a party. They feast together. Yeah, now, I, I don't know why. Like, I had kind of this impression growing up in, in my mind, um, probably just because I'm kind of weird and dumb, but I did. I kind of just had, like, this impression in my mind. But I grew up with this thought that Christianity was just kind of like, like a drag. Like, like, following Jesus, my thought was, has to be, like, the most lame, no fun way to live your life. Like, I had this picture of God in my mind. Like, he's up there in heaven, and he's just watching down over all of the earth, just waiting for somebody to have a little bit of fun so he could say, no fun for you! No fun for you! And I don't know why I said that in some weird accent, but that, I'm pretty sure that's not how God talks. But anyway, you get the point. You read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, and God, listen, God's people know how to throw a party. God's people know how to have fun and enjoy life and worship God. I mean, they're always singing and dancing and feasting. And they live lives of risk and adventure because they are living for a kingdom that will last forever. So I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Listen, if you think the Christian life is boring, you're doing it wrong. 
Man, you are doing it so wrong. It is the most incredible adventure on the planet, bar none. Now, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 24. That's where we've been the last couple months. Last chapter of the book. We don't have time to read the entire uh, chapter, but it's this crazy story about pride and plagues and people dying, and the whole thing culminates in David buying a plot of land from a guy named Aranua, I probably just butchered that, but Aranua. David comes, there's a scene where David comes racing up to Aranua's house with his entourage, and he says to this guy, hey listen, I need to buy this land because I need to build an altar and I need to sacrifice to God here. And Aranua's kind of like, David, you're the king, man, like, he's probably thinking, don't kill me. (laughs) He's like, just take it for free, man, like, you, you don't have to give me a dime, it's yours, just take it, you can have the whole thing. And then in verse 24 of chapter 24, uh, David's response in some ways is is both stunning and I think it's also a lesson for us. But go to verse 24. Listen to David's response to this guy saying, like, man, you could just have all this land for free. This is what David says. But the king said to Aranua, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, if we were in David's shoes and some guy offered to give us this huge plot of land that was worth a lot of money, most of us would be like, heck yeah. I'm gonna use that money to go on an extra vacation this year. I'm gonna buy myself a new car. Not David. David says, I'm not giving God anything that costs me nothing. He's saying, my God is too valuable for me to give to him that which doesn't cost me something. I've said this before, man, but but church people, and I throw myself in this boat, man, we get all hot and bothered over the concept of the tithe, right? Now, I've I've said this before, man, but when you get to that question of like, man, uh, do I have to give 10%? Is it that Old Testament? I always want to say, listen, you're already asking the wrong question. Like, your heart is already in the wrong place. The question really shouldn't be how little we can get away with giving God. The question should be, man, how much would we dare keep in light of God's great generosity towards us? In light of the billions of people on this planet who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. In light of the 40 million people in slavery today. In light of the millions of children who will starve to death this year. And we're worried about, man, should I give God 10% gross or net? Like, really? Like, that's our question? Or yeah, I'll I'll give to God, man, as long as it doesn't inconvenience my lifestyle. Or I'll I'll serve God as long as it doesn't mean I have to get up early on Sunday mornings. Or how about this one, man? I'll go on a mission trip as long as it doesn't affect my vacation plans. Do you hear how foolish we must sound to God? How foolish, like the giver of all that we have, the owner of everything. The God who loves us and gave himself for us, looking down on us, and we're like stingy toddlers with our toys. Mine, 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 you can't have them. And he gave us the toys. With our time and our talent, and yes, even our money. Listen, if if it means nothing to you when you give it, it means nothing to God. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't even need your time. He doesn't even need your talent. Listen to me. He wants your whole heart. 
And when he has it, all those other things are going to flow freely and with joy. I love the words of King David. I will not give God that which costs me nothing. Now, here's the incredible thing about this plot of land that David bought uh, to build an altar and make a sacrifice to God. Scholars believe it's the same exact location where Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac before God provided a ram in the thickets in place of Isaac. It's also the same plot of land that Solomon eventually built the temple on. And thousands upon thousands of sacrifices were made here. This land was soaked in the blood of sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 12 says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, this, this is the biblical theme. I'm gonna put this up on the screens for you because I think it's important for you to understand it. Here's, here's the theme that runs throughout scripture. Sin requires sacrifice. Sacrifice leads to salvation. Now, you wanna know what all that was about, all those sacrifices, all that blood in the Old Testament? You wanna know what all of that was pointing us to? It was pointing us to the king who would come from David's line, from Solomon's line, who would spill his own blood as the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin that would lead to the salvation and redemption of anyone who would call on his name. This whole thing, Genesis all the way to Revelation, the whole thing is pointing us to Jesus. It's incredible. Look with me at the end of, go back to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 26. I love this. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all of Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He was king for 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. And then I love verse 28. Listen to this. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Listen, God was faithful to David God raised David up. David crashed and burned his own life in sin, but David ran to God and he found mercy there and he found forgiveness there and he found ultimate redemption in him. And God wants to redeem you as well, friend. I want you to see that this will be the last thing uh, that, I, that I wanna show you and then we'll, we'll land the plane uh, this morning. But God, God's faithfulness led to three things in David's life. And I believe God's heart is for these three things to mark our lives as well, if we love him, if we're a follower of Jesus. So here, so here they are, three characteristics, God's heart for your heart. Number one is that we would have a fearless trust. That we would have a fearless, bold trust in God. That we would not put our trust in anything outside of him. Not in money, not in retirement plans, not in anything else. That our trust would just be rooted deeply, deeply, deeply in the heart of God, in his goodness towards us, in who he is, in his character, in his DNA. Because that's where we find freedom. When we trust him, we, we can begin to live a fearless life. Number two, radical generosity. There is this undeniable connection between our generosity and our hearts and our joy. You want to be happy, you want your heart to be in the right place with God, learn to live a generous life in every area of your life, with your time, with your talents, yes, even with your money. Number three, full-hearted worship. That marked David's life. 
as he got to know God more and more and more in a more deep way, his heart just overflowed in worship because of this great God that he had a relationship with. So these three things, I believe, are God's heart for our hearts. And then I want to close by reading Psalm 30, which uh, David more than likely wrote during these final months, years of his life. And as we read Psalm 30, I want you to just listen to the joy and the redemption that characterized David's life. And may this be the prayer in our lives as well. And then we're gonna do what David did. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna raise our voices and we're gonna worship our great God. But I want you to hear his heart towards the end of his life. Psalm 30, David says, verse one, I will extol, that means I will, I will lift up, I will make great, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Anybody need healing here this morning? God is the healer. Number three, O oh Lord, you have brought me up my soul from Sheol, which is the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O oh, you his saints. By the way, church, that's us. David is talking to us. He's commanding us. Raise your voice, praise the Lord, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. And listen to this, and his favor is for a lifetime, it's forever. Now weeping may tarry or linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Verse 10, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Is anybody here this morning sad? Is anybody struggling with depression or anxiety? David is saying, man, God can take that in your life. He can take that in your heart, and he can turn it into dancing. Unless you're Baptist, and then maybe like a potluck or something like that, you know? I can say that because I'm Baptist, all right? You have loosed my sackcloth and have clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And David died an old man full of days, full of honor, completely healed, completely restored by the God he loved and trusted, complete redemption. We all need that in our lives and there's only one who can offer it. So my question for you as we close and we get ready to sing this morning is, do you have that redemption? Do you know the one who died who bled to secure your redemption, not just now on this planet, but for eternity. Do you know him? And if you don't, you can start that journey, the most incredible journey you've ever experienced in your life. You can start that right now, this morning, today. Let's pray, then we'll sing. Father, you, you are our healer. Who else would we go to? You have the words of life. 
You are the one. You are the only one who can take what is broken in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives and redeem it and make it new. God, our joy, our security is in you and in nothing else. So, Father, would you, would you give us, would you grant us freedom? Would you give us generosity of heart in every area of our lives? God, would you help us to love you with a whole heart? Father, we give, we give you all of our praise. We give you all of the glory that's due your name today and forever. And Father, we ask this in the name that is most precious to us, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing to our great God.